Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. All right, all right, all right. Is anyone excited to be here this morning? I know we talked about that, but... Here's what I'm excited about. Whenever, whenever our plans get interrupted, I always know that's going to be a really good one because I know God wants to speak in spite of what's happening. So thank you guys for being here. As Riley said, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at The Bridge. And uh, just one more business item, and then we can jump into what we're talking about today. Um, the annual business meeting. Uh, again, not everyone loves looking at all those different things, but here's what I love about the annual business meeting. We get to celebrate all the cool things that happened, but also where we're going. And Riley talked about an important vote that's happening. Within our bylaws, there's a two-year window from the time that a new lead pastor takes over until they have time to officially be voted in as the lead pastor of the church. And that two-year window is coming up. So if you're a voting member of the church, uh, I would love for you to be here so we can kind of, we want to hear your vote. If you want to keep me in here and keep this thing going, that would be awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling good about where we're at, uh, but we got to make it official. And uh, so it's going to be really, really cool. And even if you're not a member, come be a part of it. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool. But I'm going to jump in today. Uh, some of you might not realize that I am nearsighted. And uh, I don't wear glasses. I don't have contacts. Never even went through LASIK. What I mean by nearsighted is when I'm looking for something that's in plain sight, I can't see it. Okay? That's what I mean by nearsighted. And so uh, this is a true story. It happened this week. This was no part of my message, but on Friday night it hit me. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so accurate. So uh, about two Thursdays ago, uh, Riley came into my office, stole my lamp, and then brought it into uh, youth. So can you, who's the, my lamp people in here? Like you're like, I never use my fixtures in my house. I use lamps. I'm a lamp person. I like the warmth of a lamp. And so Riley came in, stole my lamp so it could be ambient in here, all that good stuff. And so the next day I went in to turn on my lamp and my lamp is gone. So I was like, I'm stealing my lamp back. So I grabbed my lamp like this and then it was so top heavy, it snapped in half. And I was like, well, dang it, that's not ideal. And so this was the day when the weather really kind of got nasty cold. So I was like, I'm not going outside. I don't want to go through that punishment. I'm going to put it in the kitchen and see if anyone else wants to throw it away. The power of delegation, right? So I left it in there. I was like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I'll throw it away on my way out when I go start my truck. Um, and so I, I got busy throughout the day and I forgot about it. So the next day I came in, I was like, oh, I never threw the lamp away. I should throw that away today. I'll do it when I go out. Forgot about it. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, saw this thing sitting in the kitchen on Sunday. I was like, that should not be there. We should throw that away. And then I forgot about it. And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So Wednesday, we're doing spring cleaning. And Bethany, our office admin, she's like, Derek, we have to clean some stuff up around here. It looks like just like we don't care about stuff, but we very much care about stuff. So we got to clean up. So we're cleaning up, we're cleaning up, we're cleaning up. And, and I was like, all right, we're all set. And she goes, do you really not see it? Like, see what? She goes, the thing that is glaringly obvious that you seriously don't see it. Bethy, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, now I'm curious. Now I'm like, okay, what the heck? So I'm, I'm in the kitchen. I'm opening cabinets. I'm looking above the fridge. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I was like, Bethany, am I hot or am I cold? You got to tell me, like, what are you seeing? She goes, you literally walked right past it. The 
I forgot about the lamp. It was just sitting there. A lamp should not be sitting in the kitchen all by itself. Yet here it was just sitting there. And what I realized is when you walk past something so many times, it just becomes a part of the landscape. And you don't see it. And I wish you guys could have been here first service because I'm convinced every single couple in here, there was one particular member of the household that when I was talking about not seeing things and being nearsighted, the amount of elbows that went, wham, next to their their spouse right there, right? Because this is a common thing. I'm not going to say if it was the husband or the wife, but I'll let you guys figure that out. But I'm just glad to know I'm not the only one who's near. And I was thinking about this silly, silly lamp because I walked past it so many times because I just got used to it being there. It was there for so long, I just got used to it just happening to be there. And we've been talking about prayer here at the bridge for the last few weeks. And I think if we're really honest, that's how a lot of us approach prayer. It's just there. It's just there because, you know, we're, 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 we pray before dinner or we pray before bed and we just kind of get used to it. But the reality is, is prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is not meant to be something that we just kind of put off to the side and walk past and go about it and do all these different things. And that's why we've been in this series on prayer because I believe in it so much. And I believe when we seek out God through prayer and we're intentional about it, we're different from the inside out. We see God moving differently. We see our landscape differently because God is working in and through us through prayer. And so we talked about how why it's important to pray, what, what, what purpose prayer has, what the Bible says about prayer. That was the first week. The second week we talked about how do you pray because I mentioned that a lot of us, it's not a matter of you don't understand why prayer is important. It's that you feel like I don't know how to truly seek God in prayer. I don't know how to pray. We talked about that last week. But this week, we're going to jump into another question that comes up with prayer, which is, when do I pray? When is it that I'm supposed to pray? What's the situation look like? When should I pray? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 says this, pray continuously. I love how the NLT version says, it says, never stop praying. So when should you pray? Always we can get out of here. Well, let me pray and we'll just, we'll just jump out of here, right? Because like, it, it seems overly simplistic, but the reality is, is we're always called to pray. Now, when I first heard this, when I was early on in my faith development, it was one of those things where it's like, how, how does that work? I just need to like walk around and always be praying. And if someone says hi to me, I can stop praying, but then I keep praying. Like, how does all of that work? But when you look into the context of this, it's about having a posture of prayer. And the best way I can explain it is my wife and I, for the most part, have a very good line of communication. We are always on the same page with each other for the most part. And so sometimes that means that we're on the phone talking through details or talking face-to-face about our days or what's going on. There are days I'm texting her like, you are never going to believe this cool thing that happened. You're never going to believe what just transpired. We're always kind of communicating back and forth. But here's the kicker even if we're not physically communicating. And what I mean by that is my wife and I have this open understanding that if there's anything going on that I need to be aware of, you tell me, and vice versa, and I'm listening, and you're telling me. It's a constant line of communication. Even if we're not physically communicating, we're in communication. It's the same thing with prayer. Even if you are not physically praying 
with your mouth or you're not praying to God, we're called to always be in this state of prayer, which means we have a posture that welcomes God into our life at all times. That is what it means to never stop praying. And if there's a person that I think epitomizes this concept, it's a man that we read about in the Old Testament known as Daniel. So if you were to open up your Old Testament and go to the book of Daniel, this is kind of a biography, a recap of his life. And let me tell you about this man. He was a man that prayed all of the time. And I'm going to take you through some of the, some of the coolest things in it. But let me get you caught up because I don't want to just drop you into this. And you're like, what's going on? Here's the context of what's happening. The nation of Israel is kind of being taken captive by this bigger, stronger, more oppressive army known as the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are led by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. If you're pregnant in this room, baby name for you, Nebuchadnezzar. Could be a good one. The standardized testing would be horrible because filling out Nebuchadnezzar with those little bubbles would be an absolute nightmare. But I digress. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. So he comes in, he imposes his will. Here's the new rules. Here's the new culture. You guys will follow what we do. But Nebuchadnezzar is kind of smart. He goes, if we want to get these Israelites, these Jewish people on our side, we got to have Jewish leaders that are following us so then their people follow them. So literally in the Bible, it says, go and find the smartest, the wisest, the best looking my wife left, but all these things that describe me, right? All these things, come and find them, and I want you to bring them into the fold here so that you uh, are, are, are going to follow us. So sure enough, as they go through the royal families, they find this man named Daniel and his three buddies, and they said, you will train under us, and you will be leaders. But here's the cool thing about Daniel. God had plans for Daniel even before Daniel knew he, God had plans for him. Because he gave Daniel a gift. And the gift was the ability to interpret dreams. So you and I have dreams about random things that happen through our day, right? Like I had a dream the other night about me shaving, because I, I do it every couple of months. And uh, I had a dream about it, because my dad was talking to me about a razor. I was like, why did I dream about a razor? Oh, yeah, my dad and I were talking about that earlier today. We dream about things that happen throughout our day. But back in this time, dreams were something that God used to communicate to his people because there was meaning behind them. So he gives these dream interpreters the ability to say, here's what your dream meant, and here's what it looks like. But in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it wasn't a dream where you're, you know, swimming through a warm ocean and your Ferrari sitting on the beach, those kind of dreams. This is the kind of nightmare that Nebuchadnezzar had. Something that was really, really scary. So scary that he's like, I need to know what this means right now. So he calls all the dream interpreters up to his castle, up to his throne, and he said, here's the deal. This is in Daniel chapter 2 if you want to follow along. It's not going to be on the screen, but this is the context. He brings all of them up to the throne and says, here's the deal, guys. I had a horrible dream last night. I want you to tell me what it means and tell me what happened first. Tell me what happened and then tell me what it means. And they're going, Hello? Uh, I, we must have misheard you. Like, see, here's how this works. You tell us what you dreamt about, and we tell you what it means. Nebuchadnezzar's like, no. Because I don't want you guys just to tell me what I want to hear. I want you to tell me what it really means. 
faithful. You will tell me what my dream was, and then you will tell me what it means. And here's what I'll do for you, just to kind of give you some incentive, okay? If you tell me what my dream was and what it means, I will give you all kinds of wealth. You will be loaded beyond your wildest dreams. Cool. But if you don't, I'm going to cut you into pieces. True story, Daniel chapter 2, it, it is feast or famine. And, and so what ends up happening is these people are like, King, what you ask us to do is impossible. No human being could do that. And he gets mad. So he says, all right, that's it. Everyone's gone. He sends out his team, sends out the executioner. He goes, I want every wise man, every diviner, every astrologer, I want them all gone. Get rid of them. So of those people, Daniel and his three GQ buddies are sitting there waiting. When all of a sudden there's a knock on the door from the executioner saying, hey, it's time. I'm here to take you out. And the Bible says he talked to this executioner with wisdom and tact. And he says, give the king a message. I will tell him his dream. Okay, cool. So off he goes, but look at what's happening below the surface for Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Translation, he had no clue what the dream was. He was just buying time. But he goes, hey, here's what I do know. Let's pray and ask God to reveal this mystery. He went home and asked them to plead for mercy. Translation, pray with me. Church, when are we supposed to pray? I got three times when I think prayer is very, very important. When are we supposed to pray? When we're in need. The human spirit naturally lends itself to pray when we are up against an impossible situation. In January of 2022, there was an NFL football game being played between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And on national TV, in front of a whole stadium, in front of a whole national audience, there was a player that fell down and collapsed in cardiac arrest. Medically, his heart stopped. He was dead in medical terms. Now, I'm not here to talk about why, not here to talk about any controversy. What struck me about this moment is when that happened, you could hear a pin drop in that stadium. It was morbid. It was scary. It was like, what in the world is happening? But what just started to happen almost instantly, almost as a knee-jerk reaction, is you see each sideline, players dropping to a knee and praying. You could see it. The camera panned over. They were praying. They ended up calling the game off. And before the game was over, they brought both teams together. They sat in the middle, every single player, every single coach, and they prayed. They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. The next day, when you're watching ESPN, there's a sports broadcaster that a lot of times on these sports shows, they don't talk about faith. They don't talk about religion. When all of a sudden, in the middle of this show, this man named Dan Orlovsky starts to pray on TV Summoning the name of Jesus, praying for Damar Hamlin. And you're sitting there going, this is crazy. 
Like everyone's praying. Why? Because that was all that was left to do. There was nothing more that could physically happen in the eyes of everybody else, right? Like he was in the hospital, the doctors were working on him. Now they were playing the ever so cruel waiting game of seeing if this thing is going to work out. And so everybody, whether they were a prayer or not, everybody got on their knees and started to pray because they needed God's help. The human spirit is meant and ingrained to pray to God in our moments of need, because we understand that as human beings, we get to the end of our limit. We get to the end of what we can physically muster, and all that's left is an intervention of God, and that's exactly the point. We are meant to rely upon an all-powerful God that is on board for us. But something I have heard, something that has come out of my mouth in the past, is this kind of tune of this statement. All that we can do now is pray. As if that's just like a last-ditch effort. But can I point you back to Daniel chapter 2? And can we see if that was his last-ditch effort? Because what did he do? He bought himself time. He talked to his buddies. And what's the first thing he did? Plead for mercy. We have to pray. Prayer was Daniel's plan A. He didn't go to the king's officials and try to gather intel. Hey, what did the king eat? What was he talking about yesterday? Maybe I can kind of get some ideas of what he was talking about. He didn't go back to his buddies and say, here's the deal, guys. We got 24 hours. Pack the snacks. Pack the the Twinkies. We're going on the run. We're out of here. No, they didn't run. What he did is he said, hey, we need to pray, and we're going to step out in belief as if God is going to answer this for us. And I love the language, plead for mercy. They're humble in this moment saying, God, we need your help. Help. Move. Do miraculous things. Move on our behalf. Because Daniel knew when he prayed, he was praying to the God who split the Red Sea in half. He was praying to the God who took an army of 300 people and defeated an army of 30,000. He's the God who did impossible things. He was believing for another impossible thing. So that night they pray. They go to bed. Look what it says here in verse 19, the very next verse. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Overnight, he goes to bed. Can't imagine the emotions running through his head. Am I going to be dead tomorrow? He's sitting there in bed. He's asleep. And all of a sudden, he gets this vision. And it's God downloading the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And the ability to interpret it. So he gets up, and I would encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. And I can't jump into it right now. But for the next four to seven verses, Daniel just wakes up from this dream, and he praises God. This is an aside from the message, but it needs to be said. When God answers your prayer, Don't forget to praise him for it. Because the Lord convicted me a little while back that I, every single day, am living a prayer that I prayed for many, many years. About my family, about my spouse. And every single day, I get to live out the fulfillment of that prayer. And it forces me to just remember that God is faithful and good even when we're in need. So when you're in a moment of God answering your prayer, don't forget to praise him. 
But going back to praying in need, I want to show you this. He praises God, but then he goes up to the king's castle. And it's not in the text explicitly, but I just kind of like picture Daniel kind of walking in here, like seeing the king's doors and just going, boom, I'm here, guys. I'm going I'm to I'm tell you what's happening, right? He comes in, he goes to the king, and look what the text says. I love this. He goes up to the king's throne with confidence, with authority, and he says this, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel's going, what you asked is impossible. But let me show you that I serve the God of the impossible. Here's what your dream means. He tells him the dream. He tells him what the dream means. And the king is moved. He's, he's relieved. He's all these things. But he realizes the power of God in Daniel's life. And here's what I'm here to tell you. When you pray when you're in need, I believe God can and God will answer prayers. Not always, maybe it's the way we want, maybe not always in the timing we want, but don't shortchange the power of God because he will answer prayer. And a lot of times, he does it not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of other people as well. God is a God that answers prayers. And what's cool to me about this story is this was not a one-time dealio for Daniel. If I had that moment, I'd be like, Whoa, I'm never doubting God again. That was crazy. It's not that simple, is it? See, the thing with Daniel, the reason we're talking about Daniel in a prayer series is because this was not it for him. What's tough about the Bible is when you flip the page, we don't always understand the timeline of things. When you flip the page from chapter 2 to chapter 3, that could be the next day. It could be the next week. It could be the next 10 years from now. We don't always know. But what we know is in Daniel chapter 2, he was a young gun like me. He was a young adult, probably early in his 20s, didn't know a whole lot of what he was doing, but he was just kind of that ambitious young adult. In Daniel chapter 6, he's a seasoned vet. He's older. He's an adult. He's, he's, he's been around the block a few times. But I want to show you why that's important. Because the second time we need to pray is not just when we're in need, but the second time when we pray is when we're in preparation. What I mean by this is this, Daniel chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. This was something he was doing perpetually. Three times a day, he'd get up, he'd go to a special place in his room with the windows opening toward Jerusalem where the temple of God was, and he would pray three times a day for an hour. Nine o'clock, noon, and 3 p.m. Every day, three times a day. It's a lot. It's a lot of prayer, but it's something he got in the habit of doing. Now, What's really cool to me about this whole thing is it was a consistent thing for him. You know what kind of blows my mind? A stat in 2019 said two out of three millennials, which are my age, a little bit older than me, two out of three millennials make a consistent habit of skipping lunch because they're too busy to stop and eat. They want to get ahead and work so they don't eat lunch. Now what I'm asking 
is if we're not taking the time to physically nourish ourselves with food and lunch, how much time are we taking to spiritually nourish ourselves? Because here's the deal. I know I've been convicted of this. I'm not here to cast any shame, any guilt. But here's what I know, is if I only ate when I was on the verge of dying, I wouldn't be very healthy, would I? If I only slammed a box of Little Debbie snack cakes when I was on the verge of passing out, I wouldn't have the strength to do what I'm called to do. Now in opposition, if I ate well three times a day, I'd be stronger, right? If we only pray when we're in need, we're going to miss the mark. We're going to be malnourished. Daniel prayed three times a day because he knew he needed God's intervention in his life at all times. Not just when he was in need, not just when he was at life or death, but he needed God a part of his life every single day, every single second of the day. And now here's what kind of just is so refreshing to me. Can you imagine sitting down for three hours a day and praying? I'd encourage you to try it sometime. I've tried it. After five minutes, sometimes we're out of things to pray for. Just being honest. Sometimes you can go and you can go and you can go and you can go. But if you pray three times a day for three hours, after a while, it's not just a constant stream of talking. There's moments in which you just stop talking and you listen. Because that's communication, isn't it? The last two weeks I've been talking about how prayer is a conversation with God. You know what happens in a conversation? You talk, but you also listen. And you also respond to what the other person is saying to you. It's the same way in prayer. You can pray and ask God for things and he's going to answer. But the true depth of prayer, the true intimacy of prayer is understanding that when you go to pray, God's got something to say to you as well. Maybe it's a reminder of his promise. Maybe it's something he wants to challenge you in. Maybe it's something that he needs to just kind of give you that nudge like, hey, I actually called you to do this. I don't know what it is. But what I do know is that when you take time out of your day and you carve out this window saying this is just the time for me and God. Nobody else is getting in between me and this time with God. When you do that, there will naturally be times in which you ask God for things and God downloads things to you. Every single Monday morning here at the church from 7.30 to 9, we have this place open for prayer. Anybody can come in. Anybody can stay for as long or as short as they want, but we have this place open from 7.30 to 9. There are days I come in, and I like, look like I got punched in the face because my raccoon eyes are down this low, okay? There are a lot of times I come in here, I know what I want to pray for, I got my list, but there's other times I come in here, and I just sit. It's just a matter of, Lord, thank you. Speak to me. You just sit. You're quiet. And a lot of times when we think God's speaking to us, we think it's going to be that audible voice in the sky saying, this is what you should do. But so many times the Lord speaks in a whisper. So you're sitting here, you're thinking about things, and all of a sudden just these thoughts come to your mind. These things are felt on here like maybe this is what I need to do. You kind of have these random premonitions, we'll call them. Those aren't always premonitions. A lot of times that's God speaking to you through his Holy Spirit. So don't over overthink it. If you just take the time to sit and breathe and just feel and, and, and do this, God's going to speak to you. If you need clarification, 
Ask for it. But my point with all of this is if we take time to pray in preparation of all the things that are ahead, we're going to be ready for them. Can I tell you that I'm praying for things right now that might happen in a month? They might happen in a year. They might happen in 20 years. I don't know, but he does. But by me praying, I'm ready. And we're seeing God move. And when they happen and they play out, it's all the more amazing. It's all the more amazing. I didn't have plan to share this. I didn't share this with first service, but just to kind of just solidify this point, I love to brag on my wife. I hope you guys don't get sick of that. She is truly my superhero in all kinds of ways. And what's so special about my wife is uh, I had a relationship in high school that wasn't super great. And so I knew after that relationship in high school, I was like, God, I want the person that you know is going to be best for me, that's going to challenge me in my faith, that's going to do all these different things. And I prayed for this personality and these traits and these character traits. And I prayed 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 and I prayed. And what was so cool is when I first met Meg, like the second time I ever saw her, I was like, that's who I prayed for. And what's so cool is just getting to know her is she's so much better than all the things I prayed for. God took my ideas and made them better. When you pray and ask God for things, he is going to do something powerful. But here's the last thing. You got to pray when you're in need. You got to pray in preparation for the things that are to come, for the things he wants you to pray for. But here's maybe the toughest one. Here's the one that I think gets a lot of us hung up. When do I pray? We pray. Number three, in spite of opposition. In spite of opposition. Here's what I mean by that. I just read to you Daniel chapter 6. What I strategically didn't tell you until right now is the context of the situation. Because here's what's happening. Daniel is the third in command of the whole country. He's got a job that gives him a lot of power, a lot of prestige, a lot of wealth. He's got a job that people want. And want badly. So badly, they're willing to manipulate him out and cheat him out of the job. But here's the problem about Daniel. He's a good dude. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't cut corners. He does everything right. So right that they know and admit there's no way we can cheat him out of this. Except the one weakness he has is his devotion to God. Everybody else in the country, they don't have that same conviction. They don't live by God's playbook. So they said, here's the deal. Here's what we know. We know that Daniel prays three times a day in his room with the windows open where we can see him praying. We got a plan. If you read early in Daniel chapter 6, these little weasels, I'm going to call them, they go over to the king and say, King Oh, King, you're so smart. You're doing such a great job. We just have one little suggestion for you. Because you're doing so great, because you're such a great king, what if for 30 days, let's call it just 30, for 30 days, we'll just uh, put a little decree out there saying, if anybody prays to any God or any human being other than you, then uh, let's throw them into a lion's den. Let's call that good. Sure. Good idea. So, the decree happens, but let me take you back to Daniel chapter 6. 
this decree is quite literally if you pray to anybody else or anything else other than the king you will be thrown into a den of hungry ferocious lions Daniel chapter 6 now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem Three days a day, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. Think about that. He heard that if you are caught praying to anybody else, you're going to be killed. So what did Daniel do? He went home just as he had done before, got on his knees. Can you imagine being that dedicated, depending on prayer that much, that you know by even getting on your knees to pray, you're signing your death sentence? I just love the scripture, though. Because these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. What was he praying? Asking God for help. The very thing that he needed was the very thing that was going to get him killed. But he depended on prayer that much that he did it anyway. And here's what I think about for our church, for the people in this room. I don't think a lot of us are in a situation where if you're caught praying, you're going to be executed. I'd go out on a limb and say very few of us in here are in that situation. But there are people throughout the world that have that how we support missionaries as a church how we pray for them as a church because they are but for you in this room I don't think it's your opposition is an external in the sense of death your opposition might be in the sense of if you are if you are praying you're looked at differently you're treated differently people kind of just don't approach you the same way maybe they rob you of certain opportunities but the thing that I think the most about opposition for us in this room is the thing that keeps us from praying is in here. Because I think sometimes we're scared to pray for something because we know if it doesn't get answered, we're going to be disappointed. If we pray and it doesn't work out, it's going to crush our faith like a grape. If we pray and it doesn't happen, everybody else is going to think we're a fraud. What's it going to look like when I go up to that hospital room and I say, let us pray, and I pray, and nothing changes? What are they going to think? What are they going to believe? Not just about me, but about my God. And so we stop praying. Or we don't pray for things that scare us. Because what if God answers them? Our opposition, a lot of times, is not external as much as it's internal. And the Lord is stretching us and calling us to have the faith of Daniel that says, even though I heard the decree, even though I'm faced with the reality, I'm going to pray. I'm believing that God's going to do it. Let me show you how the story ends. Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. See, the thing about the king is the king liked Daniel. And when he made this decree, he didn't really remember the fact that Daniel prayed. 
But he's a king. He can't go back on his words. So he throws Daniel in the lion's den. And he goes home. And all night long, he's sick to his stomach going, ah, what was I thinking? I wish Daniel wasn't in that lion's den. But the next morning, he wakes up. He runs to the lion's den. First thing, first light. And he yells to him, Daniel, are you in there? Daniel, are you alive? Daniel chapter 6, verse 21, 22. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. The fact that he answered, it's a good sign. It means he wasn't eaten in half by lions. Check this out. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I have found innocence in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. He shut the mouths of lions. He split a sea in half. He took a little sack lunch and fed 15,000 people. He made somebody walk on water. He opened someone's eyes that were blind. He's opened someone's ears that were deaf. He's brought somebody back to life multiple times. Our God is a God that does the impossible. He does the miraculous. And do you know what precipitates the miracle? Prayer. Prayer. So when we're called to pray, I know it's daunting. I know we feel a little uneasy, but don't shortchange the power of God by not praying. Because prayer changes things. And the reason we're talking about this as a church, the reason we're doing this is because I believe there are going to be some lion's mouths that are shut over the next months. Miracles that you've been seeking for are going to be answered. Things we've been asking God for as a church, for new people, for, for, for wider reach, for people to come to know Christ that feels so far off. I'm believing. And it's why I'm asking us as a church to pray. Because I believe when we pray, things change. So we got to pray when we're in need. we got to pray in preparation what's going to happen. But we got to pray even when it's not easy. Even in the opposition. And then sit back and watch God move. It's so fun. It's so fun to see God moving. To see things happening before our very eyes that we prayed for years ago. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's not easy. But let me tell you one thing. You can read this thing from cover to cover. One thing I have read, one thing I have witnessed, one thing I live every single day. Is God is faithful in all seasons even when we're not so it's our duty it's our joy to come to him in prayer and we're going to cap all this off with one last sermon next week now I'm going to get so practical you're going to be like whoa be here next week but I'm asking us as a church in need right now on your way home pray if you have the ability at some point today at some point this week carve out some time whether it's five minutes ten minutes an hour two hours i don't care but carve out time for god and say god this is this is for you make room pray with faith and courage and watch what's going to happen so as an act of faith, as a continuation, would you close your eyes, bow your heads? I want to pray for you in this room. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're a God that does miraculous, impossible things. But God, I praise you and I thank you that you do them.
because you want us. You want our soul. You want our heart. You want us to be close to you. So God, today, I pray that you would be with the people in this room. Those that are struggling with their kids right now and they're far off and they're praying and they're praying, God, bring them back to you. Bring them close to you. Keep them safe. I pray, God, that you would comfort that, that set of parents. God, I pray for the people in here that are struggling financially and they're so sick of struggling financially and they're, they're fed up with it. I pray, God, that there would be breakthrough. God, I pray for medical things that are going on that you've been praying for for a long time. I pray, God, that you would be with them. And lastly, Lord, I just pray for those in an impossible situation, those that feel so defeated, I pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around them so near and so dear. And they would feel your strength around them. Lord, we get it wrong. We make mistakes. Every single one of us in here sins and makes mistakes. But Jesus, I pray that we would have the humility to say, God, I messed up. Come be a part of my life. And you're there. Forgive us, Lord. Move through us. Move in us. Move in our church and our community. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're believing, if you're asking, you're excited for God to move. Can we just put our hands together this morning? This has been a podcast of the Griggs Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.